Hey, hey. Hi. Um, so why don't we do this? Why don't we take a little time and uh, just be quiet. Reflect on what you saw. Uh, ask the Lord maybe to prepare your heart for hearing his word. All that we're going to talk about tonight. So just take some time. Pray. Ask God for help, for wisdom, discernment. Spirit of God is here, and he's leading us, and he's listening to you. Invite him in to this moment in your life. Father God, we're grateful. We love you. We're, thank you for this moment that we get to be here together. Thank you that you love the fact that we're learning and listening. It must bring you so much delight. I mean, just watching these students worship, adults worship, like how it must please you, how it must just bring you glory. I mean, it brings me so much joy just to watch. I can't even imagine what it does to your heart. Tonight it was to proclaim your goodness. Will you be glorified, high and lifted up, almighty Savior? We celebrate you, Jesus. We celebrate you tonight, Jesus. You are a good, good God, and you love us so much. We celebrate you, and we proclaim you tonight, and we preach Christ crucified. That you may be glory glorified in honor for all of eternity. In the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, everybody said amen. amen. We left off yesterday like heavy, right? Anybody have a heavy night last night kind of working through the weight of sin? And I told you the story about how in my own body that I didn't realize something was killing me. I was unaware of it. And I'm sitting in this office and he says, you have cancer. And here's what else he said. He said, we're not sure which form of this you have. You'll either be dead in a few months or you'll be bloodlet and have chemotherapy for a good portion of your life. And it's going to be very painful. So, they, so I leave the office and I leave in one of these moments. I don't know if you've ever had one of these moments, but you just leave like what just happened. Anybody ever been there? You had a moment in your life and you're like, what just happened? What is going on? And I did what I only know how to do. God, I don't know what to do in this moment. I'll have to be honest. I've been a Christian my whole life. And over that month, which I had to take a test to basically distinguish what version of this cancer I had, I did something that I didn't really ever do. Ask God for help. You know, my whole life has been about doing, getting things done. I've been achieving my whole life. I told you, man, best Christian in the school. Been on mission trips all around the world. Led Bible studies. Been a youth pastor. Preached all around the world. And at this point in my life, I finally came to a place and going, I need help. I even had a son who went through cancer. 
And I've just kept going stronger and harder, and I can figure it out. I can make it happen. I'll keep the family together. I'll keep my ministry that I was running together. I can do it. And finally, in this moment, I don't know why God picked it for me, but in this moment, I finally said, I need help. I need help. I don't know what to do. I'm at the end of myself. I don't know what to do. And I really just, on a drive to the church I was leading, just said to God, I need help. December 31st, 2019, right before we head into 2020, my wife and I are sitting in the doctor's office to kind of give the results of what's going on. And we sit down and he said, I don't know how to tell you this, but the cancer is gone. Like just gone. And can I tell you this? For a moment, I was really frustrated. Because I'm like, it took this to wake me up. It took this to help me realize that I need God. That he is my rescuer. And here's the other thing. I know for a lot of other people that are suffering in this world that that is not their story. But here's the thing. It's my story. It's my testimony of what God has done in my life. And what I've realized is that the Bible has been telling us over and over and over again that it's so much bigger than health. It's soul. It's life. It's everything. And he is a God who rescues. That's what he does. And I get to stand before you and proclaim through the way I've lived my life that I am a living example of his rescue in my life. But far more than my health. My soul. Realizing I can't do this anymore on my own. I don't have the grit. I don't have the grind. I don't have the path. I need Jesus. And if you start going through the Old Testament, it's all pointing to rescue. It's all pointing. Genesis 3, everything got jacked up. Sin enters our world, fractures everything. And you have Moses and God's flooding the earth as a result of sin. But he rescues Noah. He doesn't wipe out humanity fully. He rescues Noah. Abraham has a son, the son to live out the Abrahamic covenant that God had made with him. And God says, I want you to sacrifice my son. Abraham doesn't know what to do, but he obeys God. God creates a sacrifice. Everything's pointing us to this epic, arching truth that we need to know that we can't do it on our own. Joshua is at Jericho, walking around with no weapons. God, you're going to have to do something miraculous, he does. The Israelites are rescued out of Egypt. There's this moment where the Pharaoh's armies are behind him, and the Red Sea is before him, and literally it says this. Shut up. (laughs) Literally, be quiet. God is fighting for you, before you, and behind you. You only need to be still. See who he is. See what he does. And how he cares for us. And how he loves us. And how he leads us. Gideon has 300 men to fight what the scriptures say is an army like sand on a seashore. And God miraculously moves and has him conquer the Midianites. Elijah, amongst the, 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 the worshipers of Baal, calls down fire for heaven in a miraculous way that's something only God can do. David kills Goliath. 
And we could just go on and on and on. All of scripture is trying to point us to the fact that we don't have the ability to rescue ourselves. And that's why Daniel's so beautiful. Daniel's like literally helping us understand all this. In the midst of all the problem, in the midst of all the exile, God is so present with him. So present with him. He uses him as Daniel goes, I can't do this. I need help. And miracle after miracle that we've been talking about this week, Daniel righteously moves forward in the truth of who God has continued to tell him and continued to tell us who he is. You have Nebuchadnezzar who has rebelled against God. Goes crazy. Here's what I find so interesting about that. We are in an epidemic for mental health. And, it, and this man's gone crazy because he's chosen to go against the will of God. Maybe, just maybe, maybe there's something in us that keeps pressing in or pressing against what God is trying to do to deliver us. Because here's the thing. Once he comes out of that season and he is awakened to the truth of who God is and who God's always been in the testimony of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he comes to know truth and proclaims God as king. Unfortunately, he hands it off to his son, Belshazzar. Belshazzar picks up right up where his father was. And God allows him to die. Because that's what sin does, remember? Sin just constantly is driving us into the grave. And sin demands a life in order for there to be life. So then we get to Darius in chapter 6, Daniel chapter 6. You get to Darius, and Darius is the Persian king. And just in case you're wondering, yes, that's a fulfillment of what Daniel prophesied would happen. The Persian, the Mede and the Persian king comes in. And as he comes in, he wants to appoint his kind of cabinet. And he hears about Daniel, and he puts Daniel on his cabinet. Well, the rest of the politicians that are around, they don't like this. And so they devise a plan, an old plan, and it's worked in the past. How do we kill God's people? How do we come up against this God? And so they create this decree that basically says, if you go on behalf of any other God other than Darius, that you will die. And here's Daniel's response in verse 10 it says this when daniel knew the document had been signed just listen to the language when daniel knew the document had been signed he went to his house where he had windows like windows in his upper chamber open towards jerusalem he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his god as he had previously done. He knows who his God is. He knows his security is found in him, not in what the law says, not in what anyone, anything else, it's only what God, in fact, I love the public display of going like, let me open up the windows. Here's what I got, here's what I believe in, come grab me. He's got no shame in his game, you know what I mean, I don't know. then these men came in agreement and found these men, um, came to Daniel making a petition and a plea before God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunctions, O king, by the way, I'm in chapter 6 and I'm in verse 
13. Um, the kings answered and said, This thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he has heard these words, was much distressed. He really cared about Daniel. And set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded that Daniel be brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you in and a stone was brought and laid at the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it, sealed it with his signet and with the signet of the lords that nothing might change concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him. And he slept, uh, and slept fled from him. Verse 19, then at break of day, the king rose and went into haste to the den of lions. And as he came near the den, Daniel he, uh, where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. <laughs> My God sent his angels and shut the lion's mouth, and they were not harmed for me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. The king was exceedingly glad, and he commanded that Daniel be taken out of the den. So that Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded that those who maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions and their children and their wives. Before they reached the bottom of the den, the, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones into pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the people and the nations and the language that dwell on the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that all in my royal dominion, people to tremble and fear before God, the God of Daniel, for he is a living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall end to, till never end. He delivers and he rescues he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel purposed during the reign of Darius, the reign of Cyrus of Persia. This is the story of our lives. This is who God is. And when I said yesterday, for the wages of sin is death, I left you with a conjunction. Do you remember what the conjunction was? But, and the but is indicating what? That there's hope. That what seems like a dire situation, which seems that all hope is gone, which by the way, I know so many of you live in every single day, or many days. Hope is not this radical world that is forcing you towards something beautiful and glorious. Actually, so many people are living in despair. That is why we're having a mental health crisis. Despair. The wages of sin is death. You see how it's working. We've given in to this sin. We've given in this way in philosophy of thinking. We've inebriated with the lies of the culture. But 
Hope is not gone, but the gift, there is a beautiful gift, the gift of God, the same work that he's been doing for all of eternity, but the gift of God, which is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Hope is on the way, and hope is in the person of Jesus Christ. Hope is a powerful thing. It's a transitional thing. It takes us out of this place of depravity and it moves us into this life of hope. I mean, just think about it from a very practical sense. My boyfriend broke up with me. But all he talked about was video games. So, well, you know. Girls, you know that's true, right? It's real. It's real. I failed my test, right? That's a bummer. But my teacher... Graded on the curve, right? That's pretty awesome, right? I was in a head-on collision, right? That's bad news. But I came out without a scratch. It's crazy. I was diagnosed with cancer, condemned to death, but God rescued me. Who do you believe God is? How do you believe God works? I think for so many people, they, they imagine that God is this old man in a rocking chair in the heavens who could give a, a care about what's happening in this world. Many of you believe that, that God is an angry, moral monger. He's just out to get you. His finger is in your chest all the time telling you all the ways you've screwed up. All the ways you don't measure up. Maybe that's the way you view God Maybe he's like a puppy to you. Oh, God's so great. He's just love. Just love. Just so much love. Maybe he's like a genie in the bottle. You only need him when you need him. You know what I'm saying? Oh, man, I need you right now. I didn't study. Many of you don't even believe he exists. Like, he doesn't exist. How could he exist? And I'm here to tell you this. That God has been proclaiming himself all the way through the Old Testament. And as Jesus comes to us at John 1.1, it says, And the word God, Logos, God, pulling you all the way back to Genesis 1, became flesh. And it says he moved into the neighborhood. He came to us. That's what hope does. It doesn't leave you in despair. It doesn't take your hands off and say, too bad. No, 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 hope comes to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And what Jesus Christ is to us is he is our savior. We can't save ourselves. He is our savior. And so you see how that word is so important. We were in depravity. We were in death. But God sent his son Jesus to rescue us. Ephesians says this. Paul's trying to help this church unpack the gravity of where they were and what Jesus has actually done. Please receive these words. And you were dead. Dead in your trespasses, all your things, in sins, in what you worked and once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived with the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. If I could give a declaration over what our culture is living right now, it's this. It's this. 
That's despair. But, are you ready for the good news? Say yes. But God, being rich in mercy, I want you to receive his mercy tonight. That word in the Greek literally means his pity. He saw you in your sinful nature. He has mercy. He has pity on you. Rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, we are made alive in Christ by grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us because of Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of your own doing. It is a gift from God, not a result of works so that any of you can boast. Here's the thing. You and I did nothing to deserve this. Why? We were dead in our trespasses, our sins, nothing we can do. Nothing. What it, Jesus says, I want to give you a gift. I laid down my life so you can have life, grace upon grace, life and life to the full, I give to you through my sacrifices. And I find one of the scenes, like this grace, this thing I've just been trying to wrestle with my whole life, and I imagine you struggle with it too because we don't know what to do with it. We don't know what to do with a God so good that even though we rejected him, but we cursed him and we put our fists in the air and rejected him, that he comes and rescues us and we owe him nothing not because of anything we did, not because we helped an old lady across the street. No, just because he loves you and he sees you and he knows you and he cares about you. He always had the testimony of the Old Testament into the New Testament is that he loves you and he's here to rescue you. But I've been wrestling with this grace my whole life. I mean, one of the most bizarre stories in the gospel in the crucifixion narrative is in Luke 23. And in Luke 23, here's what's going on. You have two criminals on the cross. Do you remember this? And you have one that's mocking Jesus. Oh, if you are who you say you are, hop off this cross, mocking him. Two thieves deserving to be there. And the other one goes, whoa, whoa hold on. Yo, this guy's done nothing. He's done nothing. We, we deserve to be up here. We, we've sinned. We deserve to be up here. And then he does something really radical. He does something that, that kind of blows my mind. He has the audacity to go to the sinless son of God and say, save me. Save me. What has this guy done? He's lived a life of sin his whole life. He's robbed and destroyed. He's not been a good citizen, probably not a great son. If he's a husband, I'm sure he wasn't great at it. He definitely wasn't following God. 
definitely didn't go to the temple to make himself right before God. This guy has done nothing right. And yet he has the audacity, audacity, audacity at the end of his life to look to Jesus and say, rescue me. What is Jesus' response? Grace. I'll see you in heaven in just a little bit here. Because I'm not just going to die for you. I'm going to die for everybody. And I'm going to gladly do it. Knowing what it's going to cost in separation from the Father. On our behalf. A gift to you, to me. The song says he delights in showing mercy. And James says, because mercy triumphs over the judgment you all, we all deserve. That's what he did. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might be the benefactors, so that we might be the righteousness of God. Do you know when you confess your sins to Jesus as Lord and Savior, when you give your life to him, that God does not see your sin? Who does he see? He sees Jesus. And he is pleased with Jesus, which means this. He's pleased with you. Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. We had this crimson stain on our lives, but because of his sacrifice, it's white as snow. I told you about my mom, and she left, and it broke our family apart. She left me, and what I had to deal with when she left was an entire community who wanted to tell me how awful and evil my mother was. I went to a Christian school, and they reminded me constantly of her sin. They reminded me constantly how evil she was, that she, what she did to me. All these years later, my mom's been wearing this weight of her sin and her separation of her family. And you know, it's not like we weren't, we, di we didn't hang out or get in a hangout or spend time together, it wasn't like that. But she tells me this story. She said, I was just so weighty with the sin and the separation that I had, got, what I had done to you kids and what I had done to God. And she started down that journey with God and trying to go, God, I, I cannot, I want to make up for what I've done and I can't make up for it and I don't know what to do. So she met with a counselor and, a, and the counselor said, I think I want you to sit down. I want you to pray to God and I want you to write down what he says to you. So my mom tells me this story. She said, she's sitting on her back patio. And she said, I closed my eyes and said, God, what do you want to tell me? And so the first thing God told her is, I love you and I forgive you. And she said, I really had believed at that point that he had forgiven me because I had repented for my sins. She said, but God, what God told me to do next was impossible. He said, Linda, you're a, I want you to say you're a good mom. And my mom said, I yelled at God. I said, I'm not a good mom. Do you know what I've done? I left them. A good mom doesn't leave their kids. And she said that God spoke over her that he is good and that he's redeemed all that was evil and he was making it right for his good and his honor. And so I get to stand on behalf of my mother and our family and say, 
that those of us who feel like we've gone too far down the road, he rescues and he ransoms because that's who he is. It's what he's always done. And you have to receive it. And she received it. And she said, I cried so hard. It was a soul cry that I fell asleep on my back porch. I was overwhelmed by the grace of God. That he loved me and forgave me and reestablished me as mom. Isn't that beautiful? So many of you are living in this dark space, believing that you can fix your wounds when Jesus has already done it. And he offers you this free gift of grace, and he says, stop trying so hard and receive the love that I have for you. Some of you are trying so hard to achieve. You're trying to prove to God. You're trying to be good enough for him to accept you. Stop. Receive his free gift. This criminal on the cross, do you know when he receives the gift of God, he just dies? He can't jump off the cross and be like, I'm going to make it all better, right? Look what he did for me. And he runs through the cities and goes, he loves me. He loves me. Can't you see he loves me? No, he just dies. And gets to live in eternity with the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he's going to be hanging out with you and me. So just live like him. Just receive the gift. You've got nothing to prove and no one to impress. Receive the free gift that he gives to you. You can do nothing to earn your salvation other than just say, I need saving. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting them to the message of reconciliation. Nebuchadnezzar has lived a life just like that criminal. In sin, he's murdered people, and yet God so graciously rescued him The story of Daniel is simply a story, an archetype of what God's been continuing to do over and over. It's trying to get your chin up and help you realize all that he's doing and how he loves you and how he cares for you. This is why John John 3, 16 is so important. I just wish you believed it. For God so loved you. You. He loves you. For God so loved you that he sent Jesus because you couldn't do it on your own. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever, whosoever believes in him won't perish but have everlasting life. There's a a reason why people look like idiots handing those signs up at football games. You know what I mean? Because it's so powerful. And from generation after generation, it's about a a God who loves us, who sees us, who knows us, and who rescues us, and an invitation to his creation, the ones he loves, to receive this gift of grace and mercy. I, uh, when I first moved down to Arizona, uh, we was poor, and and I had to get a job, because I was helping launch a church. 
And so I got a job uh, as a foreman in the dry, dry utilities, which means big track hose and back hose, so, so, um, sewer lines, water lines, things like that. So I was coming home late at night, and this road that I took was about 30 minutes in the middle of the desert, pitch black. And I was driving home, and there was a car in front of me, probably a quarter mile in front of me. And it was driving down the road, and all of a sudden, I saw the, the lights flip up in the air and then crash. And I was like, oh my gosh, I think they got in an accident. So I pull up my work truck, have my work truck. I pull up my work truck and the car is upside down and the wheels are spinning. And so I get out of the truck and all of a sudden some of these other cars start pulling over. I go over to the truck and this guy is upside down in the vehicle and the seatbelt is choking him and he's suffocating. And I'm like looking around and I went and got a pocket knife that I had just bought that day, no joke. I just bought that day and I ran into the car and I held him like this and I was cutting the seat belt. And I'm not even kidding, I kind of looked around, everyone else was gone. I don't know why, but I'm cutting the seat belt and I, I, let, I pull this guy out and I drag him out, I took my coat up and I wrap, he's messed up. But I found his cell phone. And he said, call my daughter. And so I just looked in his phone for daughter, right? <laughs> Literally, I'm like, I don't know, just daughter. So I found daughter. I call his daughter. And she's like, oh, my gosh. I call 911. They bring the helicopter. And, I mean, it was like this weird scene for like a couple hours. And then all of a sudden, this dude disappears. And it got me thinking. That guy didn't wake up that morning thinking he would need to be saved. didn't think he would need saving. That's typically how it works. You don't know you need to be saved until you need saving. But I think what the crazy part of the story would have been if I came up to him with my knife to cut the seatbelt and he says, bro, don't worry about it. That's crazy. But what I find with so many people is that they're willing to risk that for their souls, for eternity. They think logically they can get themselves out of this conundrum, this sin conundrum that they have themselves in. Logically, they can survive on their own even though they're helpless instead of just receiving the free gift of God, which is eternal life. Jesus paid it all. He paid the price. And he loves you so much. And my heart's cry, listen, this isn't about some emotional thing. This is about you listening to the spirit of God that's working in your heart right now and saying, I want to follow Jesus. I'm tired of doing it on my, my soul is tired. I'm tired of doing it on my own. I am a sinner and I need saving I need his grace that covers a multitude of sins. I'm done with doing it on my own. Some of you need to confess that tonight. And if that's you, if you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to ask you to stand in front of your peers right now. If you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you want to be like, I am done 
living in this world and I just want to receive the free gift of God, I want a please stand. Please stand. Thank you. Thank you. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. And I want to say this. Awesome. Hey, let me say something real quick. Awesome, awesome, awesome. If you've never received, if you have received Jesus before, you can sit back down. It's okay. Yeah, you're good to go. She's like, yeah, yeah, I got it. It's all right. It's good. Yeah. But this is your first time accepting Jesus. Just stay standing. First time ever confessing as Lord and Savior. That's amazing. Okay, I need you to look up here. I know this is super awkward. Hang with me for a sec. Okay. I told you earlier, and I want you to know this. Following Jesus doesn't mean your life gets better. Meaning, doesn't mean all of a sudden you're going to be like, oh, right? <laughs> I got no pain. <laughs> pain in my leg is gone, right? Maybe. Maybe he would do that work. I hope he would. But the reality is following Jesus is a costly decision. And, and, and I want you to really know what you're accepting. You're saying, my life is not my own. I give it to Jesus. And if you're willing to do that, just stay standing. And I want you to pray with me, just real quick. And in your mind, you can say this. You don't have to say this out loud. Just say this. Father, I'm a sinner. I need saving. I receive your free gift of grace that covers a multitude of my sins. Thank you. Teach me to love you more and more every day through your Holy Spirit. Amen. You guys, let's, let's celebrate. <laughs> you can sit down. You, you can sit down. You can sit down. I know. You guys, it's so, for those of you, for those of you who stood, I know that's so super hard. Thank you. It says, it says this in scripture. If you acknowledge me here on earth, it says that God will acknowledge you in heaven. How cool is that? You're going to show up in heaven, they're going to be like, oh. <laughs> right it also said there's a party going on and I kind of dig that too because I love parties all right um, but here's what I also want to do you know the vast majority of the messages that we've been talking about is is to those of you who call yourselves Christians and I don't know about you but I'm tired of fake I'm tired of hypocrisy. I'm tired of being whoever I want to be whenever I want to be, but then I flip the Jesus switch on when I got to switch the Jesus switch on. And I think there's a bunch of you in here that need to repent, to turn back to the Lord. Hosea is saying this to the people of Israel. Come, let's return to the Lord. Some of you need to return to the Lord and if you read through the Gospels and even the Epistles, what you'll find out that there is an anger, a frustration for Christians who proclaim one thing and do another. And he says to repent, to receive once again the grace and the mercy that brought you to him in the first place. And I, I, I'm just going to say, I think there may be some of you in here that really want to repent. And here's what repentance is. I've been going this way. Repentance is a military term. Repentance, and I turn back this way to receive the grace and the mercy to run back to the, the God I love. 
The prophets are continuing to tell the people, return to the Lord, return to the Lord, return to the Lord. Stop living like everybody else. We're being a mockery to the gospel. We really are. We're supposed to be a city on a hill, and I think there's a bunch of you in here going, I don't, I think I confess it. I don't think I'm really living it. And so this is what I'd like to do. If you would really like to make a declaration of repentance, and here's what I want to say. Do not stand. Please, believers in Jesus Christ, do not stand unless you are willing to really, truly say, I am repenting in front of my peers for saying one thing and doing another. Please stand if that's you. All right, you ready for dad talk? (laughs) I'm you. For so much of my life, I declared Jesus, and I really love him, and I believe those of you standing love Jesus. Do you love him? But do you believe, have you fallen short? Repent. Repent. So I'm going to, because I know those of you who have committed your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit is working in your heart. I'm actually going to allow you to lead yourself through a prayer of repentance right now. I'm going to give you just a moment to, in your own heart, confess your sins to the Lord and make a commitment to him again. A commitment to live a holy life to him. Go ahead. Father, see your children, how it must please you tonight. Father, forgive us of our trespasses so that we can continue to forgive those who sin against us. Lead us in the way everlasting. Thank you that your grace covers a multitude of sins. Thank you that your kindness It's your kindness, not your judgment, your kindness that leads us to repentance. Thank you for this moment of kindness, spirit of the living God, speaking to the heart of your children to return to their God. Father, would they be at peace knowing that you see Jesus when you see them. You do not see their failure. You do not see your sins. You see Jesus. Would they sleep and rest in peace tonight? Amen. You can grab a seat. Um, One last thing. One, this is to be celebrated. But here's what I'd say to those of you who just did. This is what I want to say. It is not good for your souls to keep doing this over and over and over and over and over. And especially at camp, like every camp, it's just like, oh, I guess this is the time to repent, right? It's not good for you. I call it soul sickness. It's not good for your soul. It's not good. You start living in shame, and it's a, a game that the Satan, want, Satan plays on you. He just drives you into shame. Oh, you're a faker. 
Like, it's not good for your soul. This is a night to go, I'm all done with that. Now, here's the thing. You're going to make mistakes. You are. I make mistakes all the time. And so I just keep coming back to repentance. Lord, please forgive me. I've sinned, right? It should be a declaration in your heart on a daily basis. And he forgives a multitude of sins. So live into the grace and mercy. Stop taking advantage of it. That's what Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. Just keep abusing. Just don't. Live it out. You can be a testimony throughout, wherever you go. But just living into the grace and the mercy that covers a multitude of sins. Stop being like everybody else. It's super boring. It's so boring. Be different. You are different. It says that you're aliens in the world. Act like it. I promise you, you will find that wholeness, that fullness, that life and life to the full that you've been longing for. Look, and I know it's hard, but I know you've been longing for it. He wants to give that to you freely, okay? Amen? Okay. Can I just tell you how heavy it's been for me <laughs> to get to the, I just wanted to share good news with you. And this is the best news. And today he is, he is glorified for speaking to the hearts of those who are listening. Thank you for responding to the conviction that he's laid on your heart. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Receive his love and his grace and his mercy and sleep really, really good tonight. Amen? Amen.